My father passed away in 2018. He was 86 years old. Uh, and that week was a bittersweet week. Obviously, you can understand the bitter, but there was also sweet. Um, I very much felt the presence of God uh, in, in the room with him as I was with him that week and was filled with a love for my dad like I'd never had. So in some ways, as weird as it might sound, it was the, one of the most beautiful weeks of my life because of that presence of the Lord and because of how much God filled my heart with love for my father. But the first night of that week was really hard. Uh, my dad was shifting into uh, a phase of, of shutdown in his capacities. And when he experienced one of those moments that he never got back from in terms of capacity, I won't go into the technical stuff that I barely know about, uh, but there is a, a movement in a natural death through stages. My dad, when he experienced one of these stages, um, his face became extremely frightened and startled. And he started grieving with a fear and a fright on his face that I'd never seen in my whole life. And I think in that moment, though he couldn't speak, and that was part of what he was losing, his ability just to form, articulate thoughts that were in his heart, I think he was experiencing some sort of conviction internally that he was leaving this world. And it was a look I can still see, very, very frightened, very startled and sad. And I wonder in my mind, though I don't know his thoughts, if he was facing and processing the reality that he indeed was about to leave everything, everything he knew, everything he loved, food, books, sunlight, his children, his own body, and not knowing if he would ever see any of those things again, ever. Thankfully, it was a short few minutes, and, and again, the, the, the next day and the rest of the week, he was calmer. I even remember that he squeezed out, I love you so much one day out of nowhere, because he, he, he barely talked any day. I don't think he said anything besides that that I can remember the whole week. I loved being with him and knowing that he knew I was there. And even if we couldn't talk, we were still together. But I do think about that frightful moment and with compassion towards him, I wonder what was my dad going through as he faced the prospect of moving into eternity? I do believe my dad is with the Lord, but I think in that grave moment, I wonder if he had to face doubt and hard, hard questions, the hardest questions possible. Was he really going to God? Would he ever see anyone he loved again? Was he really going to be with Jesus? Was he not going to be abandoned and left all alone forever and ever? Is there a sadder, sadder state that we experience than feeling abandoned? No one wants to be abandoned. No one wants to be in a place where there's no help. There's no one who cares about us. Some of us are more introverted than others and we can enjoy a walk alone in the woods or a day hiking on our own, reading. When you get to have a lot of kids, you love alone time more than you used to, especially. But abandonment is a different thing altogether. I'm sure many of us have come to places, perhaps many times, where we've, we've just felt extremely 
alone in a painful way, stuck, hopeless, helpless. You might be in a room full of people, but there's a crisis in your marriage. There's a crisis in your mental health or your faith or a crucial relationship and a pressure is upon you, money pressure, job pressure, and you just feel so alone, so stuck, so hopeless, impossible, no way out, fear, that kind of stuff. And even if you've never been in such a place yet, maybe, maybe you're younger and you've not felt that way. But let me tell you, whoever you are, wherever you are, all of us are going to face a last day like my father. A day when we will have to go somewhere that's not anywhere we can see, not anywhere we've ever experienced. We will have to go somewhere even away from our own bodies and leave this world and cross over. And no one will be able to go with us in that moment. We won't even be able to take our arms or our legs or even a breath. Jesus didn't deal in superficialities. You would expect if he really was God's son, he would want to deal with that, right? He wouldn't be concerned with helping us with our lawns so much or helping us with the clothes we want to wear as much or the particular cars we want to drive. It doesn't mean that he doesn't help us with those things, but those weren't his primary concerns for us by any means. Jesus cared about the fact that we all were going to have to face that day of potential abandonment forever or not forever. So my Easter message this morning is this. Jesus died and Jesus rose so that you would never, ever be alone. So that you would know his living presence and his loving care from now through eternity. That's why he died. That's why he rose. Jesus died and rose so that you would never be alone, that you could know his living presence and his loving care from today through eternity. This is why he came. This is why he died. This is why he rose. I'm going to read to you a chapter of John 14. It's the last night of Jesus' life on earth before the cross. And he's saying a lot of things. I'm going to read a, a, a large portion of this because I want you to sense the context and the tone. But I'm going to focus on a couple of verses in particular at the end. So would you try to listen to the heart of Jesus by God's grace as I read? I'm starting in John 14. You don't have to follow. It will be up there, but you can. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. That where I am, you may also be. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? 
Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I not been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. And to verse 15 If you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. And because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my father and you in me and I in you. These are the words of God and the words of our savior. After three years of every day with Jesus, miracles and preaching, crowds and excitement and protection from his sovereign hand. This is the end of that for these disciples. In the next few hours, Jesus will be betrayed by Judas, abandoned by the disciples, arrested by the Jews, tortured and crucified by the Gentiles. And the disciples next 48 hours will be turned horribly upside down as they lose their dearest friend to torture and murder and become fugitives themselves. Jesus has been telling them for some time of his death and now he is trying to prepare them for that and for his going back to the father. And though there's so much here as we just read, I want to focus particularly on these last few verses, verses 15 through 20. So Ed, could you take us back to verse 15? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And we're going to deal with these last two slides this morning. First, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So first, I want to remind myself, I want to remind us again this morning, Jesus seeks a relationship of love with us, not simply compliance. Jesus seeks a relationship of love with us, 
not simply compliance. When Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, he's telling us at least two things. First, he's telling us that simply saying, I'm a Christian, means nothing if one's life does not testify to it in seeking to actually follow him in love, in seeking to really love him with our lives and love our neighbors as ourselves. But he's also telling us that before there can be loving obedience, there must be something else. Before there can be compliance, before there can be a following of Jesus, there has to be a love for him that motivates that following. In other words, when you hear verse 18, or I'm sorry, when you hear verse 15 up there, don't hear, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Rather hear, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Only love must and will sustain our following. And there are scholars who talk about different forms of love in Greek and agape and phileo and these different words. And I've done work on this. Let me tell you, love means love here in a God sense. It means a cherishing. It means an affection. It means a warm regard for. It means a devotion. It means an attachment of heart. That devotion to Jesus, that love for him at the root yields the fruit of following. I remember early in my walk with Jesus, struggling with assurance, was I really his? Was he really mine? Trying so hard to commit everything in my life to the Lord and do everything I could to be perfectly obedient. It was like washing my hands over and over and over and over again in my spirit. I I was trying so hard to live for the Lord And I remember trying to make big decisions and make sure that they were exactly what God wanted. And I remember a moment where I felt like his Holy Spirit took me aside one day and said, Albert, this isn't love. This is simply fear. You're being driven by fear. This isn't the kind of relationship I want with you. And the truth is, it's not the kind of relationship with God that anyone can sustain. It doesn't work. If we do not love Christ, we will not stay with Christ. But this begs a question for us this morning. Where does that love come from? And this is where we have to realize we're not the disciples. We weren't with Jesus for three years. Because for the disciples, loving Jesus came to a large degree from those three years. They knew Jesus. They spent time with him. They saw him care for them. They heard his words of love for him, for them. Even before he died, they knew that he loved them. We don't get to be with Jesus in the flesh today. We don't get to walk around with him for three years. And so Jesus' love for us comes through another way. It comes through his Holy Spirit. And this is why the next verses are so important for us. Verse 16, Jesus makes this promise. And I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive 
because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus tells them in the context of him leaving that he is going to send them another helper. That word helper is parakletos. It it literally means a person who is summoned to one's aid. So that's why we get helper. Someone who comes alongside and helps you. It can mean a range of things. It can mean an advocate, like an attorney who defends you. It can mean an intercessor, someone who fills the gap between you and something you're against or something that's in estrangement with you. It can mean a strengthener, just someone who gives you power and courage, an exhorter, someone who spurs you on. It can mean a a companion, a comforter. All of these words have relevance. But but the, the actual meaning of paraclete, like what Jesus really means by this, is clearer when we see that Jesus is sending another helper, this Greek word, alos. He's sending another helper. I'm leaving but I'm sending another one. If I gave you a sports car, a Corvette, and then a year later I said, I have to take the Corvette back, but I will give you another one. What would you expect? You would expect a bike, a blender. You wouldn't expect a Honda. If I said, I gave you a Corvette, but I need to take it back, but don't worry. I gave you that Corvette, I'll give you another one. You would expect another what? A Corvette. (laughs) So this word another intimates exactly that. Whatever Jesus has been to these men in the future, the Holy Spirit will be exactly that to them. Which is no wonder because we know in the Trinity that Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Father are one. This another helper is the spirit of truth. This tells us about something of what he will be doing. He will work to strengthen the disciples on the inside by keeping the truth about Jesus before their hearts. They're pulled this way. They're pulled that way. But the Holy Spirit, this helper will keep telling them who Jesus is. The love of Jesus for them, the holiness of Jesus before them, the call of Jesus to them. Just as Jesus revealed himself to the disciples when they walked the earth, the spirit will reveal Jesus to them when he leaves so that they will keep knowing and trusting and following Jesus. And so friends, this is where our love for the Lord comes from. For those of us who cannot walk around the streets with Jesus for three years in the flesh, it comes from the invisible Holy Spirit bringing Jesus to us, showing us his goodness and his love. But I love where Jesus goes with this next. In verse 19, he tells us something even more profound about what this gift means. Listen to his heart in verse 19. Oh Lord, would you please open our hearts to this truth? Lord, we don't want to fake this morning. We don't want to just be at a show in a church service doing the rote thing of religion. We want to hear from you, the living God. So speak in Jesus' name. I stopped there because verse 18 has been in my heart all week long and I felt for days that God has been saying to me, speak this verse to this church this morning. So if you're here this morning and you're part of our church, I I have faith that God wanted you to hear this. But if you've never been here this morning or you've hardly ever been to church here, you've hardly ever been in church period, I believe God wants you to hear this. So hear his heart in verse 19. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. 
I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. On this night, when Jesus will suffer the ultimate rejection of the world, his heart is here with these people, these clueless, up and down, sometimes faithful, sometimes faithless, weak, ready to, ready to deny him, ready to abandon him people. He is about to be crushed physically and spiritually in ways we can't even imagine. And where his heart is, it's on them. Don't worry. I'm going away, but I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will not let you be abandoned. I will not leave you all alone. I won't let you be fatherless. I will come to you. If you could conceive of God, apart from everything you've ever heard in your life, wouldn't you want him to be someone who says that? I will not abandon you. I won't leave you all alone. I won't let you be fatherless. I will come to you. Isn't that about the best thing we could hear? in any conception of deity. What more could we want to hear from him? And now we're seeing what is central to the power and the meaning of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 19 again. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. There's a reference to the resurrection right here. In a little while, the world will see me no more, but you will see me. They're going to take me away tonight. They're going to kill me. And you'll be full of sorrow, but then you'll see me again in just a little while. But this reference is not just to the resurrection. It's a reference to the resurrection life of Christ, which comes to dwell in his people forever. What good would it be for Jesus to say, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you, but then I'll stay for 40 days and leave again, so I kind of will leave you as orphans, right? So Jesus is speaking about the resurrection, but also the implications of the effects of the resurrection. That coming out of the tomb is going to mean something much bigger than just those 40 days on earth. When Jesus rises from the grave, he does not rise only to declare payment for our sins, which is blessed be of all great news. He doesn't rise only to show his victory over Satan and death, which is worthy of unending praise. Jesus rises from the grave in order to come into your life and dwell in you forever. That is central to why Jesus rose from the dead, that he might not leave you as an orphan, but come into your life and live in you forever. Do you remember what, uh, when, when, 
Kate read this morning the story of Mary Magdalene coming to the tomb and she tries to grab Jesus and hold on to him. She's so excited to see him again and she clings to him. And Jesus says, I always thought this was odd. He says, Mary, don't cling to me. I thought, is, he, is that cold? I mean, she, hasn't, she saw him murdered and now she's seeing him glorious and strong and whole except for those marks of love in his wrists. He's in good shape. And he says, no, 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 don't cling to me. But what does he say after? He says, I have not yet risen to my father. What's that mean? It means this. It means Jesus saying to Mary, Mary, don't hold on to me this way. I'm going to come to you an even better way. That's what I believe Jesus implies here. You don't need to cling to me like this, Mary. I'm going to come to you. And I'm going to come to stay for good. So after the resurrection, Jesus continues to rise, so to speak. He rises all the way to the father's right hand. And in Acts 2, Peter is telling the, the Jews and, and all these people assembled that day. For a Jewish festival, he's telling them about Jesus and there's been this incredible outpouring of the Holy Spirit and incredible things are happening in Jerusalem long after Jesus has ascended to the Father's right hand. And Peter tells them what's going on. He says, essentially, Jesus rose to the Father's right hand and was given all authority over all things at the Father's right hand. And with that authority over all things from the Father's right hand, he has poured out his spirit into the world. From the Father's right hand, where Jesus is going, the place for which Mary can't cling to him right yet, Jesus will send forth his Holy Spirit to come and dwell in all people, all people who belong to him. This Jesus, who in his body on earth could only be in Galilee and not also in Washington, who could only be in Capernaum and not also in Frederick, who could only be in Bethsaida and not also in Moscow, this resurrected Christ through the power of God and the Holy Spirit can now distribute himself into millions of his children to live inside each of them at once and forever. And this is what Jesus means when he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He means that he is able to come as near to his people as their very own hearts. That they might never know abandonment. They might never know being forsaken ever. Not truly. Not truly. The world, our emotions, our circumstances may tell us that. But Jesus does not leave his people. Friends, this is why Jesus went to the cross and suffered his father's judgment for our sins. This is why he did this. This is why he cried out in the deepest spiritual pain. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He did this so that you would never be judged for your sins by a holy God who must judge sin. He did this so that you would never be forsaken 
Jesus took the abandonment. And this is the hard news. We need God's grace to receive and understand or at least to believe. Jesus took in himself the abandonment by his father, the abandonment to eternal death that we have earned through our sin so that we would never know that abandonment, but instead we would know his companionship forever. This is what he is telling us this Easter morning that he rose from the dead to complete this promise. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. The risen Christ has defeated death in order to bring his strength, his power, his very heart to help you, to be with you, to guide you, to speak to you, to lead you. And now for the last few minutes, I want to talk about the different places we might be in as we hear these words. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Some of you this morning are certainly as children, but you often feel like an orphan. You often feel abandoned. The temptations you go through, the failures you experience, the anxiety that harasses you, the sin that ensnares you, the fears that bully you, the doubts that dig into you, the sense of isolation that brings you pain. All these experiences and voices, they call out to you alone. You're all alone. In Psalm 3, David, who knew the Lord well, said, Many there be who say to my soul, There is no help for you in God. David heard those voices inside and out. Many there be which say to my soul, There is no help for you in God. And, and some of us just hear that, maybe not explicitly, but it's behind every failure and every fear so often. And into that place, Jesus wants to remind you again this morning. I'm not a dead savior. I'm a living one. And I rose from the dead to come and live in you. And I will not orphan you. I will come to you. I have come to you. Because you live, because I live, you will live. I, I am here. I'm not leaving you. I'm not giving up on you. You might feel that because you're believing that, but I've not left you. And so if you feel that way and you know the Lord and you've walked with him, I want to strongly exhort you this morning, wherever you are, hear Jesus say these words again to you. I will not leave you as an orphan. I will come to you. And indeed he is in you and he has not left you. So cry out to him. He is a person who hears, who's affected by your words. Stop and ask for the grace to not believe that lie that you are alone, 
that there is no help for God. You've already seen the fruit of that in your life. And anger escapes into addictions or follies. Ask him for the grace to trust him, that he is in you. For the grace to trust the next step, the next breath, if that's all you can muster faith for, and the one after that, and the one after that. And I want to exhort you to find and cling to more promises like this in his word. Whether it's his promise to provide a way out of temptation in 1 Corinthians 10, or his explicit promise for forgiveness and cleansing when we confess in 1 John 1, or his explicit promise for the grace and mercy that you need anytime you need it in Hebrews 4, or the wisdom you need for your confusion in trial in James 1, or his promises to meet all the needs that you have in Philippians 4. Fight for those promises. I say this because the Jesus who lives inside you by his spirit, he speaks to you through his truth. If Jesus lives inside of you through his spirit, he speaks to you through his truth. And so as you cling to his promises in his visible word that you can see in the scriptures, his Holy Spirit respeaks them into your heart through the invisible spirit who lives inside you. Don't give up with even a mustard seed of faith. Jesus says it will be done for you when you bank on his truth. When you bank on what he says in his word. But maybe some of you are in another place today. You just don't, you don't sense his nearness as you once did you're not necessarily so much crushed as feeling less and less affected by him. You've not so much come to a place of believing that Jesus has abandoned you as, as just not having a sense of his presence like you once did. And for some of us, that may be because we've forgotten the life he's called us to in these very passages. Remember where we started. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. Maybe you've forgotten that experiencing the living Jesus is always linked to devotion to Jesus. Your devotion to Jesus is maybe not what it once was. You don't see yourself seeking him or spending time with him or giving attention to his commands as you once did. To you, he says, oh, return to me and I will return to you. Give your life to me again. Day by day. And that's a great mercy that we're not called to give our lives to Jesus year by year, decade by decade, but, but just a day at a time. He says, behold, I, I stand at the door of your heart and knock. It's a famous verse from Revelation. Jesus is talking to his own people who've closed the door on him. It's not, it's not unbelievers or he's not trying to win converts in that passage. He's trying to win back his people who've shut the door to him. And he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open, 
I will come and I will eat with him and he will eat with me. We'll have fellowship. And so maybe you're just in that place where he's not number one anymore. And Jesus would say, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. So can you love me again? Can you give your life to me again? There's, there's nothing he's not calling from you or me that he will not provide his life to give you the strength to live out. I know what it is to, to fear the risk of saying, okay, Lord, I'll give you this day. And then to think to yourself, but what if you ask me for something and I can't give it to you and then we get in a fight? <laughs> I want to spend the whole day with you and enjoy your fellowship. So I want to sign up for this give my life to Jesus today thing. But if you ask me to do something, I don't know what you might ask, but if you ask me to do something and I can't do it, then we're going to have a fight. You're going to be mad. I'm going to be sad. And we're going to have to go back to, you know, living in separate rooms in the same house again. And we need to remember what Daryl said. Take my yoke upon you and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light because I'm gentle and humble. I'm not a jerk. I'm not a harsh taskmaster. I'm not looking to make things arbitrarily, meaninglessly hard for you. If I take you through hard things and I will eventually, I'm going to give you strength to survive it, I'm going to carry it with you so that you can carry it because I've come to you to not leave you as an orphan, but to live inside you. So tell him, tell him this morning, yes, Lord, I want to return to you. Forgive me for my lack of devotion. You're the one who calls me to obedience out of love. So fill me again with you. And I'm going to try, but I can only do it by your grace to obey you out of love. That's what I want. I want you. Just tell him that. Lastly, there may be some of you this morning who have never in your whole life, I'm up here talking and you barely made it across the doorway this morning to church and into this seat and people, you know, we're just super glad you're here. But you're just like, I don't know what that means, man. I don't know what this means to experience the life of Christ within me. Daryl got up and told this story and he had some magical thing happen. And this pastor's up here talking about some magical thing that happened with him and his dad and this invisible guy who comes and lives in me. Some of you may be here this morning. You've never in your whole life known what it means to experience the life of Christ within you. And I just want to tell you that it's all in what we read. Jesus is calling all people everywhere back to him. God made you. He made you for life and uh, friends and food and mountains and fun and adventure and nature. But he made you most of all for himself. And to know him through all these things. He's calling you to him. To a life of love for him. Above all other loves. Which will give the right kind of love. And fuel all those other loves the right way. He's calling you to acknowledge. That he is the Lord worth following. That he is the Lord. Who is right when he says. 
oh, you should love me. And you should love me so much that you obey my commandments. That that's actually what God has a right to say. If he's good and he's loving. He's calling you to believe that he is a savior who also knows that this is impossible for you to do on your own. See, you need Jesus to receive Jesus. You you need him in order to end your life without him and begin your life with him. Because the sobering news in this passage is that if you don't have Jesus, you are a spiritual orphan. You walk into this room without a spiritual father. And it might even be his grace that you sense that. Because if he's allowing you to sense that, then I believe he wants you to hear him calling you to him. That you might have him and not be an orphan anymore. This weekend, we celebrated Good Friday. This is the day, Good Friday, that Jesus dies for the sins of the world on the cross 2,000 years ago. Including your sins. If you are willing to repent of your sins, which means to acknowledge them, that you've lived against him, you've lived without him, you've lived indifferent to him. And he suffered on the cross to pay for all of our sins of not loving him and not loving our neighbors ourself. And listen, Jesus' payment is enough. His payment is enough. You may know that, you may not know that. You may have been raised in churches that have told you that you have to do these sacrifices and these rituals to pay back God for your sins. That's not the way it works. I grew up in that kind of church. When Jesus said, it is finished, he meant it. It is finished. You don't have to do anything but acknowledge that you need him. Acknowledge your sins before him. For he came to give himself to you because you couldn't give yourself to him. Not without his power. Washing away your sins and giving you the gift of his life. So today we celebrate Easter. This is the day that he rises from the dead. He rose so that he could give himself to you. He rose from the dead out of that grave not to simply make you marvel at his resurrection, but so that he can come as close as you need him to be, to make it possible for you to know him and follow him, not by your power, but by his. You don't need to do anything to receive his life, but believe in him, to say with even a mustard seed of small faith, oh Lord, Jesus used this phrase, if you have even a mustard seed of faith, you can say to this mountain, move and be moved. We're not an agricultural people, not most of us. And so we've forgotten what a mustard seed is. It's tiny. It's tiny. He was saying that to encourage people who don't feel like their faith is enough to say. It's not how big your faith is. It's how faithful I am. 
take your tiny, broken, small faith and put it in me. And I will be faithful. So maybe this morning you might be able to say, oh Lord, I need you. I believe you're the Christ. You were judged for my sins. You were raised to life so that I might receive you forever. And when I say forever, I mean forever. I mean that once you belong to him, he does not orphan you. He comes to you and he is with you forever. On that last day of your life, when like my dad, you have to face crossing into eternity alone because you will have to face it and I will have to face it. On that day, you won't be alone. He'll be with you. And instead of crossing into eternal judgment for your sins, which is what he says awaits all those who reject him, you will simply move deeper and deeper into life with him. Better than this life by degrees you can't even imagine. That's what he wants for you. Let me pray.